Welcome to Killing Time, the podcast that investigates the darkest moments of our past to shine a light on wider histories. I'm Rebecca Radil and I'll be your guide. Sit back, relax and listen as we delve into the latest episode, The Life and Death of Ignatius Sancho. It's the 14th of December 1780. King George III sits on the throne in England and across the Atlantic a fierce conflict rages between American revolutionaries and the British military. In Westminster, London, however, another battle rages, one between life and death. Having suffered from gout for several years, the composer, writer, abolitionist and shopkeeper Charles Ignatius Sancho's health has deteriorated. Gout is an inflammatory form of arthritis that causes sufferers acute pain and can lead to diabetes and heart disease, among many other things. Sancho finally dies from its effects. He was 51 years old, but had lived a thousand lives. episode, we'll explore the extraordinary life and times of Charles Ignatius Sancho, a man of many firsts. Who better to join me on this journey than the acclaimed actor, writer and author of Sancho, an act of remembrance, Patterson Joseph. Patterson Joseph, thank you so much for coming on the Killing Time podcast today. We've got a really exciting person to talk about someone that's close to your heart, I believe. (laughs) Yes, and thank you. I'm uh, very glad to be here. I wanted to start by, first of all, kind of saluting your acting abilities and how wonderful and marvellous you are in everything you do. And there's a reason I'm specifically saying this, and that's because when I was an A-level student studying my A-levels, I did theatre studies and we were discussing doing theatre in the round and we had a special trip to Manchester to go and see a play and you were the star of that play I can't remember the name of it but it was about three brothers and there was lots of oh. politicking and conflict but yes, it, was... it was called Les Blanc and it was That's about it. it was about an African uh, colony that had uh, gone into rebellion and I played the sort of son who'd gone away uh, on into Europe and come back and had been chosen as the leader so it was a bit of a conflicting almost sort of Hamlet-like story where he had to almost fight his own people in order to gain freedom. So there was a um, Lorraine Hansberry reply. That's what that play is. Lorraine Hansberry, who wrote Raisin in the Sun, it was her reply to Jean Genet's The Blacks, which she considered to be a bit racist, frankly. So she she, she wrote this play as a sort of answer to that. (laughs) It has nothing to do with that play whatsoever, but it's about a deeper story of black, black Africans rather than these slightly clownish characters that Jean Genet has in his play. Wow, yeah. what a yeah. dark and deep So play thank you for that. But wow. obviously that's a complete and utter aside, but I just wanted to acknowledge that you have formed an important memory in my, um, <laughs> my theatre life, I suppose, in theatre going. But we are moving on. We are here oh. to talk about Ignatius Sancho and his life, times, achievements, legacy. Um, And I wonder if, first of all, you might be able to paint a bit of a picture of of his early life, who his parents were, how he came to be in England and how, you know, what it was like for him growing up. Okay. well, 
I will couch everything I say in these mm-hmm. terms that we know very little about Ignatius Sancho, despite the fact that at the time he was quite an important figure. Uh, the reason we know very little is because nobody really wrote a full biography of him. He didn't write one for himself. And the one that Samuel Johnson was rumoured to be writing didn't happen because Samuel Johnson got caught up in a widower's need and uh, failed to write it. And, and so it was written by a guy called Joseph Jekyll. And he put it into the preface of his play of the letters, Sanchez's letters to the newspapers, which were just legion and published in 18, okay. 1782, two years after he died. So in the preface, Joseph Jekyll tells us that Sancho was born on a slave ship crossing the the ocean, the Atlantic, and that by the time he reached New Granada, which is Colombia, his mother had died. His father died soon afterwards, Jekyll says, because he couldn't stand slavery, but who knows. And then uh, Mm -hmm. the next thing we know, at three years old, he's sent to Greenwich to live with three spinsters, these ladies, bring him up, and like a lot of 18th century kids, who you can see in hundreds of of, uh, paintings, by the way, contemporaneously, before and after him, he was brought up as a sort of pet, I would imagine, um, dressed up and uh, made to look sort of ornamental. Uh, But they would refused to teach him how to read, and he was very curious, ran away from them, uh, and was found in Blackheath Park by the Duke of Montague, who happened to live across the way. And the Duke took him back, tried to get the teachers to teach him. He wouldn't. So he gave him books. And so Sancho was a sort of autodidact. And he managed, uh, by the time he was a a young adult, to be able to play music, to probably speak French, to dress hair, to do all the things that a valet or a valet would do for his gentleman. And eventually became both butler and valet to the Duke of Montague or to the Montagues. Uh, was also a musician and a writer to the newspapers. And then, when he was too sort of old and gouty to work for the Duke of Montague, they gave him an annuity and he bought himself a grocery store in Westminster, in Charles Street, in Mayfair. And he had the right then to vote. So in 1774, he voted for the first time in a local election. And in 1780, the year he died, uh, he voted for in a, the parliamentary election for a candidate called Charles James Fox, who was a, a sort of proto and uh, anti-slavery candidate. So that was his. That's his legacy, really. That's what he achieved. First black man to vote, but started as a slave aboard a ship. I'm interested to know how you came to be interested in his life. I mean, you, you've written a play um, called Sancho, An Act of Remembrance, mm-hmm. a one-man play, I believe. And yes. could you tell me about the journey and the process of doing that and, you know, how you found out about his life? Yeah, well, um, the monodrama came through the desire to write a play that I could be in that was set before 1948. I've done various classics, uh, the IC mm-hmm. and, and the National, and, uh, and I loved those plays and I loved the way the words are used and I love the language of, of certainly 18th century language and I thought uh, I wonder if I could find somebody and then I I found a real figure I would have made it up if I couldn't find <laughs> anybody but I found a real figure and I found lots of real figures in fact but Sancho was the one that stood out in Gretchen Gertzina's book uh, Black England which is a great read mm-hmm. actually and he just seemed such a theatrical delight you know <laughs> he was he's a he's a big round man jolly witty makes up words was a great friend of Lawrence Stern, you know, the sort of comic mm-hmm. writer of uh, Tristram Shandy. 
and uh, who made up words as well and sometimes nonsense words, but also had a political edge. So there was, uh, that's Sancho. That's, um, that's the guy I thought I must find out about this man and I must play him. And it was the Gainsborough portrait, really, that struck me first. I didn't know anything about him. I just saw the portrait uh, in black and white in this book yeah. of, of Gretchen's. And I, I went, who is this? I wondered if it was a sort of pastiche by mm-hmm. Hogarth, for example, because he put a lot of black people in his paintings. And yet the story behind him was so moving and so funny in some ways and unusual that I thought this is a theatrical dream. So, yeah, I latched onto him and wrote the one-man show, collaborated with the Oxford Playhouse, and then eventually found myself a producer, a lovely guy called Tim Smith, and off we went to America and toured America for a couple of years and then came to Wilton's Music Hall in 2018. And um, hopefully in 2021, we should be going to the Lyric Hammersmith and then doing a UK tour. So that's that was the story of Sancho, though. That's how I came to him, looking for a character. And um, but I just wonder as well. I'm just going to go a little bit deeper here into into him and your connection to him because I, I do find it interesting when people find a historical character and they do feel this this bond. I mean, I f- I feel it. I shouldn't really confess it as a historian because she's supposed to be objective. But I feel <laughs> it with um, <laughs> with Afra Ben. I feel it's oh, just yeah. something. There's something there that she she feels real to me, and I feel like I recognise her personality, even though I don't know her, and it's just a guess. But I mean, I'm interested in that bond. Did you? You must have seen the the portrait in real life. What was that like for you? No, I haven't seen the portrait. Oh, you have life. not. No. Oh, the, wow. One of the things I'm slightly outraged by is that the portrait rests in the National Gallery of uh, Canada in Ottawa. Um, and oh. it, it was sold to them, I believe, sometime in the. I want to say the turn of the 20th century, but it's never come back and it's a Gainsborough. So it's extraordinary that it hasn't. And it's a Gainsborough of a black man, which I wouldn't even say is rare. It's probably the only one. So, uh, yeah, Yeah. that's that. I mean, I could sort of I've distracted myself with it because actually that is the thing that I really want more than anything. The reparation of that portrait. Yeah. if If I can manage it. Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be wonderful. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? And it's such a sort of an occasion. But I believe it will happen. I've always believed it will happen. It just needs, (laughs) maybe somebody needs to feel a bit more guilty about it at the National Portrait Gallery. Uh, Yeah. That we don't have it here. Um, Your original question, though, I'm not answering. What was that exactly? So it was that connection, I suppose, about, you know, how how you feel connected to somebody. And they they almost become, I I guess, and I imagine, I mean, although I don't know, but I imagine while you were writing your act of remembrance, you really were living and breathing Sancho for a long period of time. And the fact you're playing him as well. I mean, could you tell me about that experience a bit? Yes, I suppose... How I approached the play was how I approached acting, and I've written about this elsewhere, but it's it's really all about getting in the mind of the character and how they see the world. And so that's how I started mm-hmm. writing it. I started writing it as a sort of inner voice, like this is what I'm feeling and thinking. And then it became a kind of public thing. And so he's now having his portrait painted, which happened in Bath in 1768, and there's an audience and he begins to talk to them about his life. So that's how I started writing the play. Yeah. When I finished writing it, this would have been originally the first time I mounted it as such was at the National Theatre Studio in 2010 in, a, in a, an early version. And I remember reading it with a bunch of friends who were going to help me put it up. Mm-hmm. And one of them I'd known since drama school about 20 years before. And he said when I'd finished it, gosh, it's very autobiographical, isn't it? <gasps> and I went, I went, of who? What do you mean? And he went, well, it's you. 
And I went, you're ridiculous. And I felt sort of resentful and a little bit uh, mm. uh, offended by it. <laughs> but the more I've lived with it, the more I know that he's right. That there are aspirations in him that are mine. There are fears in him that are mine. So Sancho, for instance was living at a time when black people weren't really just free and allowed to be musicians or actors, yeah. both of which he had a desire for. Uh, and I came through in the 1980s at a time when there weren't that, not, not that many black uh, actors who were playing lead roles or doing you know, major theatre productions. Yeah. Uh, and so I struggled a little bit at the beginning. Uh, and, and then also he has this fear of the future, that whatever inroads he's made, and remember he, you know, he was working for the royal family, he was in with the highest, upper echelon of society, as well as in the arts and literature. And I wondered if it would mirror my experience, his experience was, I wonder what will happen to the next generation, whether they'll be allowed to do what I've done or whether they'll have to start again as such. And yeah. that is also a sort of fear in me. So there's a... Those two things really drive Sancho's life and, and they drive the play as well. And obviously they, they must drive me in some way. That's really interesting. It's almost like this the, the feeling of responsibility as you, you yes. intimated to the next generation. It's a burden. It's almost a silent burden that you... Yeah. And in the yeah. novel, um, which I've just uh, finished, uh, which I'm calling uh, The Secret Diaries of Charles Ignatius Sancho, uh, he talks about that. He talks about that very thing. Mm -hmm. He talks about the fact that he has no uh, idea who he is either. Like, I'm not welcomed here sometimes and I I don't know where I was born really or what my origins were. Mm -hmm. And I've got flavours of that in my own life. But the fact that he says now I'm determined to be British and even if people don't want to accept me as an African Briton, that's who I am. So yeah. the novel really, really sort of tackles that issue of identity too, which is also a, a mirror of my life and how Sancho feels about being part of the, the sort of British landscape. When, when is your novel out? I, I wasn't aware of this, so this is exciting. The, the good question. Okay. I've just written it. <laughs> I've just written it, and I'm now I'm now flogging right. it around like some sort of tinker, uh, going door to door, trying to flog this thing to publishers. I think it will be published, but I hope that it will be published soon because I think people are hungry for for this sort of historical perspective. Plus, it's a an internal story rather than. Um, just him presenting himself because the play, the letters, the portrait, they're all sort of public presentations. Um, whereas yeah. the, the secret diaries are just that, his inner thoughts. So I, I'm, I was excited to write it and, and talking about immersion, actually, Rebecca, it, mm -hmm. it, it literally felt like I, I'd been overtaken by a spirit. By the time I'd finished it, I remember coming back into my little studio in the garden and thinking, it feels like yeah. the child has left. For university or something i feel bereft really yeah i really did live with him for you know much of this lockdown you know but um yeah the novel That's, hopefully gosh. will be um hopefully somebody will take it up and uh, and and uh, we can publish it and an audio book i think will be in order as well because it, it's written in that sort of inner thought way so, so yeah. you're gonna get the you get the rumblings of his thoughts and also mrs sancho gets a better look in than in the play oh well, that's that's interesting. So I'm I'm very aware that we have a short amount of time. Oh. Killing time episodes aren't aren't particularly long, but I do want to dig into a couple of other aspects of his of his life, and maybe this is the good a good cue to talk about his family life. Mm -hmm. Then, so he was married. Could you tell me a bit about her? So he married a lady called Anne Osborne, 
who I originally, uh, from the information I had, thought was born in Jamaica and then had come come to England. But yeah. it turns out that she may well have been baptised as a child here. So uh, she may have come as a child, but she may okay. also have been born here and then spent some time in the Caribbean. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, he marries her mm-hmm. when he is in his... Uh, towards his late 20s, I think. And they uh, have several kids, probably as many as eight, I think. Uh, those we know of, anyway. Um, and uh, wow. I think three of them <laughs> die before he does. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. he has a a wonderful uh, relationship with her in particular. In the letters, he calls her my hen, my bet- my better half, my better <gasps> self. He waxes lyrical about her, you know. He says he tries to... She can hear that he's not well. This is towards the end of his life. But he, he tries to rally himself yeah. and, and he forces a smile so that he can get a smile from her, which... 20 years ago almost bewitched me you know he talks about her in these romantic terms all the way to the end of his life so she's a very special person in his life Uh, she's hardly mentioned anywhere else except in the shop somebody mentions her cutting sugar sugar in in the shop which is really interesting in itself cutting sugar in the shop and and then literally he 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 never speaks of her in any other terms other than a sort of angelic figure so it's hard to get a real bead on somebody like that so I was really pleased in the novel to be able to imagine her and and get into her skin as it were because she's obviously a formidable woman oh that's so lovely I mean I spend my life with um (laughs) with Samuel Pepys and the way he writes about his wife is entirely different (laughs) (laughs) I heard this yes sir indoors Uh, yes no wonder he hid the diaries I know (laughs) so this is nice this is refreshing it's nice to hear these things so just just to kind of before we end the the podcast just to quickly go over his achievements then so as you've mentioned he was the the first black man who was able to vote in England which is extraordinary but that came about because he was a homeowner or a shop owner is that was that the reason that's right there were no racist laws at the time um, I mean, the only laws that probably would have uh, hurt anybody is the laws against Catholics, you know, because they were vilified at that time because they thought they were papists and mm-hmm. trying to check out the Jacobite rebellion that only happened in 1745. So he was the first black man that we know to have published uh, music, the first black man that we know to have an obituary published in the newspapers. He is not only just a pioneer of you know, if you like, black presence, as in he was there. Yeah. He was pro- He was proactive. He was active in society. He spoke about the American War of Independence. He spoke about France and the Revolution. He was a pro-monarchist. Mm-hmm. And he was a pr- true Brit. And so all the things about him, the first this and the first that, that's all extraordinary. But it's his absolute presence, his absolute part, he's a part of British society that I'm... I'm most excited about that he was simply there and he wanted to comment on what his country was doing. And I I love that. He wasn't just about, it's my people and I must save my people, which he is. Yeah. He was also about the wider issue of belonging. This yeah. is my country. I should be able and allowed to speak about it in positive and negative terms if I choose. You know, I love him for that. It's, that's marvellous. So he lived he lived for himself, but also for others. And that's yes. that's how yes. everyone should, I suppose, um, in the end. Yes, I, I think so. I think so, yeah. Just finally then, just about his, his legacy. What's, I mean, what's his impact been? Well, uh, here's an example. I'm in um, Washington in 2016, and I'm at the Kennedy Centre, where we open Sancho in America for the mm-hmm. first time. 
And I've got an audience of about 450. They're screaming kids mostly. <laughs> uh, and it's 11 o'clock in the morning and I'm reluctant to go on thinking they won't understand this language and they won't <laughs> understand me. And uh, I went on and finally won them over. I actually won them over quite quickly. They were, they were a lovely audience. Yeah. And, and at the end, I did a Q&A and I asked if anybody knew about black British history and only four people put their hands up and they were all, uh, you know, adults. Yeah. And then these four African-American women who were about 80-odd got up and they said, son, at the end of the play, when he's searching for his play papers, that really struck us because that's us today. That's us today. We're being disenfranchised. We're being told that we can't vote as black people. We're being told that uh, we need a driving license or we need a gun license to be able to, to vote or a passport. And it, and it really is, uh, the go- it's like the government doesn't want us to vote. And that story, son, is not an old story. It's happening today. And that m- made me realise that what Sanchez's legacy is, is, is the determination to vote must be in, a, be in us all. So Sancho's legacy, when we think about the fact that he was living in a time when black people were seriously disenfranchised, is to say, look, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If you're able, if you can find a way, live your life as fully as possible. He lived with a kind of, I call it sort of militant joy, that despite the miseries that were heaped upon him and his people, he was determined still to write music that was jaunty to write poetry that was light and airy, not because he was avoiding, but because he wanted to be to, to live. And the fact that he went out to vote, like these three African-American, four African-American women were telling me, the fact that he could vote or, or, or was determined to vote then, when it was so difficult for mm-hmm. everybody, including white people who were not homeowners, yeah. to vote... This is his legacy. We must continue to vote. We must continue to play an active part in our society because we have the right to, whereas he almost, he certainly most of his people didn't. What a perfect note to end the podcast on. Patterson, Joseph, thank you so much for your time. It's been... What a pleasure. No, thank you. It's been a real treat. Um, thank you. Sancho was buried in the churchyard of St Margaret's Westminster. He left behind his wife and children, who built his legacy, publishing his letters and keeping the shop. While no inscription was found for him when a record was made of the existing epitaphs in 1880, he's believed to have been the first person of African descent to be given an obituary in the British press. Patterson Joseph's new novel, The Secret Diaries of Charles Ignatius Sancho, will be released next year. Yeah.